Amen. You may be seated at this time. If you can hear that faint sound in the background, we did not install a waterfall um, as our ushers go around begin taking the offering. Uh, that is the sound of the, uh, the baptismal being filled up. And today after the service, we have the honor and the privilege of doing uh, one of the greatest things that we do here at the church, which is uh, having the honor of, of baptizing people in the name of Jesus Christ. And so we have three people we're baptizing this morning. And so the climax of everything we do today is uh, gathering for the Lord's Supper at the end and baptizing new uh, believers or people taking that next step um, in their faith through uh, professing their faith through public baptism. And so also what I'm going to try and do from now on is we're going to make the announcements um, at the beginning of the sermon as opposed to in the welcome uh, because we record our sermons live every week and we put them up on the podcast and the website. And so people that tune in or maybe miss church or something will be able to hear the announcements uh, by listening to the podcast. And so I want to let you know last week giving was really great. And so thank you all for giving generously. Uh, Please continue to help us meet budget so we can do all the things we do here through the ministry of this church. Um, Also, May 31st is something we're calling Covenant Membership Sunday. And so what that means is we're doing our first Covenant Membership class where we're inviting new people to actually officially join the church. Uh, We have not had a process like this for a while now, and so it's been kind of ambiguous. And so we're going to firm that up. Uh, We're going to invite people to join the family. Covenant membership is where people go from being maybe attenders to family members, where uh, just kind of I show up because I like something about the church to really walking with us. And uh, that's going to be a really uh, strong step for our church going forward. It's going to be a very healthy step. Uh, But in accordance with that, as we're bringing new people into the family, uh, we're going to have one Sunday where I'm going to walk all of us through that. And so the service two weeks from now is a really important service, May 31st, Covenant Membership Sunday, uh, where we're going to look at what it really means to to walk with the church, to be a part of the family here at White Oak, uh, just to make sure that we're all on the same page, and we will do that during the sermon and during the service, um, so there won't be anything additional afterwards. And then also after that, uh, June 7th uh, will be uh, the beginning of our summer series, our Summer in the Psalms, Volume 2. We did it last summer, and uh, it was so great that we're doing it again. Um, I'm excited to get back to the Psalms. That was my favorite series that we've gone through of all the things we've done. And so looking forward to being a part of that. But one quick note real quick before we begin that I thought was kind of funny and kind of sad was um, as we're beginning to shore up the, the membership roster of the church and having new people join the church, I was going through our official membership role, um, and I, I came to the conclusion that my wife is not officially a member of the church. And so um, all that to say that uh, she will be a part of the class um, in two weeks from now. I'll be walking her through covenant membership and what it means to walk with the body of Christ. Um, and so all that to say that if we come and say, look, for whatever reason, we don't know why, but we don't have you on the actual role, please don't be offended. Even my wife wasn't on the role. Um, it's been kind of a crazy process, and it's just really one of the things we're trying to renew. And so even if you've been walking with this for a long time and you consider yourself a part of it, uh, we still think it's important for people to go through that class, to walk through it. And so if you're unsure as to whether or not you're officially a member of the church, you can check with us and we can let you know. And as always, please don't be offended if anything is out of whack. So thank you very much for that. Um, And before we begin the sermon, uh, I want to do one more really special thing. 
something we used to do, we called Sunday Spotlight about a year ago and I stopped doing it just because I honestly forgot about it. And so I want to highlight a few people in our church that I think um, are noteworthy or things are going on with them that I think are really important. And the first person that I want to um, kind of put before you this morning is Justin Fleming is back with us. Justin, stand up with us. Do you have a quick word for us after your time away? Justin was on a work trip out of the country. How you feeling? Really good to be home. Really good to be home. Okay, good, good word. Uh, Justin uh, was on a, a long work trip that was kind of um, ambiguous, and so he's back with us now, so we're happy for that. Um, I also want to let you know that uh, Boris, uh, Questos, and Erica, his new wife, got married here in the chapel a couple days ago. Um, I don't think they're here this morning because they're honeymooning, um, but when you see them, uh, tell them congratulations for that. Um, I also want to recognize, they are, now stand up, You're, they're here, I, I didn't see you guys, stand up, there they are, yeah. As I like to refer to them, Mr. and Mrs. Boris Questas now, so. Um, also, I want to recognize a, a good friend of mine who has just been honestly working full-time here at the church with all the renovations. Um, is, is Andy Veal here? Andy Veal's in the very back. Andy, we stand up for us? This guy has been... Uh, as you know, during this season of the church, we've got a lot of renovations going on, um, and it's just really helpful to have guys like Andy who literally stops by constantly at the church, make sure everything's going well. I don't know much about construction stuff, so he's been a huge blessing. And then one more person that I want to point out that I, 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 was, really, I was really moved by this this morning. Uh, one of the people that's getting baptized today is named Katie Horn, who many of you know. It's um, Evan Horns, who was playing bass this morning. It's his sister. She's getting baptized this morning. And uh, she's in the back right now. She's actually, she's getting baptized today. And as I was getting here really early this morning, I noticed that the girl who's getting baptized today is also, was the first person here this morning serving and getting all the coffee ready that all of us drank this morning. She's getting baptized and she's the first person here serving. And now in the service, she's back there running the PowerPoint and the slides. And so Katie, will you stand up? I just want to, I want to thank you for your service. And so you know you're doing something right. You know God's moving when uh, the people that are getting baptized are, are already serving, already plugged in, already serving all of us. And so uh, before we dive into God's word, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7 this morning. Uh, would you bow your heads and let's just pray together. Holy Spirit, we ask that you be with us this morning. We are approaching, um, Father, your word, your scriptures, and I pray that as we read them, that they would instruct us for the way that we are to live, God. I pray that we would set aside all the things that we bring to the table, all of our biases, all the things that were, all of our agendas, Father, and that you would just make your word so beautiful and so desirable before us this morning. Father, we lift up the name of Jesus in this place. And, and as we come to the scriptures, we just confess that it's all about you, Jesus. It's all about your gospel, that, that your message would go forth. Not that my name or anyone's name here would go forth. It's about the name of Jesus Christ would go forth in our lives, in this city, and in this world. And we just want to say, God, that we give ourselves to that this morning. 
As we read your words, Jesus, which you spoke 2,000 years ago, and you're going to speak again today in this place, I pray that we would listen just as intently as the people who were sitting there on the Sermon on the Mount, God. Lord, help us to feast on your word this morning. We love you, and we honor you, and we thank you for what you're doing. We ask all these things in the perfect name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Sometimes I wonder uh, what it would be like to, uh, to grab lunch with the Apostle Paul. You ever thought about that? And what it would be like to ask him, like face to face, what was it like being so powerfully used by God in your life, being probably the greatest missionary to ever live? Sometimes I wonder what it would be like to walk around my neighborhood with Abraham. To like literally walk around my neighborhood with Abraham from Genesis. And ask him if he had maybe any pointers on being a blessing to my neighborhood and to my city. Sometimes I wonder what it would be like to kick back with King David. And to ask a man that had so many struggles, that so many of us struggle with, how he developed such a passion and love for God that, to be quite honest, I sometimes struggle developing in my own self. Sometimes I wonder what it would be like to play basketball or some kind of fun sporting event, maybe paintballing with Peter, because I, I feel like Peter was a crazy guy, right? Uh, he wouldn't want to grab lunch. He'd, he'd want to go like paintball or like hunting or shoot something probably. I, I feel like that's the kind of guy Peter was. A- and ask him what it was like to be on the adventure that he was on in his life. I would love to, to go hang out with Peter and ask him what was more amazing, uh, seeing Jesus at the resurrection or the spirit falling at Pentecost? If he could even differentiate between the two. Sometimes I wonder what it would be like to, to hang out with the disciple John, who was the last living disciple who faced all the persecution, and even after all the other disciples were killed, he was like the lone guy hanging out after having seen everything. I wonder what he would tell me if I asked him, how do you endure in the midst of the most ferocious persecution? I wonder what it would be like to uh, have uh, Timothy, Paul's little disciple, who was a pastor. I wonder what it would be like to have him over to my house for dinner. Maybe if he ever got married, maybe him and his wife, I don't know if he got married or not. Have him over to my house and ask him if he had any advice on, on pastoring and loving God's people and protecting the flock. I wonder what it would be like to have him over. And the reason why I, I say that is, first of all, because I genuinely mean that, I really, I desire to know what that would be like. But I also would really desire that because I would know with those men that I could trust them. I would know that they have proven their love for God, and we, we read about it in the scriptures. Their, their life testified to everything that they believed. 
And I know that when they would be talking with me, that they would be talking from the standpoint of someone who loves God and somebody who truly wants me to love God as well. I, I know that they would be genuine and good. I know that they would be honest and, and I know that they would be true. I made a huge mistake when I was in the fourth grade. I loved history, and it came time for history fair. Anybody know history fair? Remember history fair? It's history fair and science fair every single year. It came time for history fair, and I, even at the the ripe age of nine years old, I, I prided myself on being like really good at history. I was horrible at science fair because I was really bad at science, uh, but I really liked history fair. And even at nine years old, I was prideful, too much so, I guess, of how much I knew about history. And I wanted to do a history fair project on something that um, wasn't so, in my mind, cliche, okay? Even at nine years old, I thought, history fair on the American Revolution, do we really need another one of those? His, oh, really, on Columbus? We need more, uh, seven, so the, uh, sail the oceans blue. Do we really need another history fair on Abraham Lincoln or the Civil War? And so I had this bright idea that I was going to do something that no one had ever done, probably in the history of elementary school history fair in, in all of the world, not even just my school. Like this was, I was going to, I was going to break the mold here, right? So as a nine-year-old in the fourth grade, I had this brilliant idea that I was going to do a very recent impactful moment in history so that when I got up to talk, everybody would know nothing about what I was saying so that I would be enlightening them and I wouldn't be boring them with another talk on Thomas Jefferson and the Louisiana Purchase. And so at nine years old, I had the brilliant idea, and and I have no idea how I even knew about this, that this had ever happened. Uh, I had no idea... Um, why my mom even let me do this, but she did for whatever reason. I decided that I was going to do my history fair in the fourth grade on David Koresh and the Branch Davidian cult. Nine years old, right? Doing my history fair on probably the most crazy cult that ever existed in the great state of Texas, the great country of Texas. And so I decided to do my history fair in the Branch Davidians, and it was like the most depressing thing you could ever imagine. Like 80 people died, a bunch of them were children. It's this guy who was like in Waco, Texas, and he claimed to be a special quote-unquote prophet of, of God. And he claimed that he had like this special insight into the, the end of the world like they usually claim that they have. And, and he... And, and, And he believed, he said in the Bible, and he believed in Jesus, but he also believed that his word was just as powerful and weighty as the scripture. When anybody begins to claim that their opinions and words are are just as powerful or a continuation of this, please be leery. But he claimed to be a prophet of God, and he claimed that he knew the end, and that, that somehow he, and then he felt called by God that he was going to restore the Davidic dynasty of King David back in the Old Testament, which meant that God granted him a bunch of spiritual wives that he was allowed to have kids with. It's funny, he called all the other guys to be celibate, but he could have a bunch of spiritual wives. And it was just a really, really weird thing. And then all of a sudden, they're, they're moving in together into this compound 
And they're stockpiling all of these weapons. And then the FBI gets all these allegations that the kids are being abused. And so the FBI is, is trying to get in there and they're trying to break it up. But it's just a horrible situation. And then eventually they're so concerned that the kids are getting abused and that this guy is just taking advantage of people that they have to go in. They have to go rescue the kids. They have to go get them. And then in the ensuing battle, the building catches on fire. And 80 people die including David Koresh, the cult leader. And even at nine years old, I saw for the first time the, the power and the depravity of what Jesus is going to talk about this morning in reference to false prophets. And, and the reason why I started with my initial thought is because Um, We need to give our lives and our ears and our hearts to people that we can trust. People, like you you can read about Peter and you can read about Abraham. You can read about these people. And the reason why they're trustworthy is not just because they spoke great sermons or not just because they knew everything perfectly, but because their lives, as, as revealed in the scriptures, their lives demonstrated the things that they believed. And what often happens is we get so persuaded and seducted by, by teachers that, that talk really well, that say all the right things. They're oftentimes maybe attractive or something like that, or they've got some charisma to them. And, and they begin to elevate their word over everybody else's. And they lead people astray. And at the age of nine years old, I got my first taste of the reality that, that this thing that Jesus is talking about, this isn't just like some faraway thing in history. What we're going to read this morning, it's not just like something that happened back in the day. This was like a, a little over a decade ago, down the street in Waco, Texas. And I say that because what we're going to read this morning is real. Turn with me to Matthew 7 at this time. Starting in verse 15, if you don't have a Bible, it'll be up on the screen for you. As Jesus closes the Sermon on the Mount, he says something that's, that's very, very different than a lot of things that he said. As he's talking about living without borders, living like the kingdom, about tearing down the things that separate us from God, that holiness is really closeness to Jesus. He offers you and me and the people in the Sermon on the Mount a warning. He says this in verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. May God bless this word this morning. So the good news is, is that God, and I love this, God gives us this really cool gift called the gift of discernment. 
Meaning if there is something outside of just the blatant facts that God gives us, I believe through the power of his Holy Spirit, where we can discern things, where we, we get senses about things, and, and we can tell when something's off, or maybe a false gospel is being preached, or, or, or bad doctrine is being preached. The bad news is, is I think we don't often use it enough, this, this discernment that we're given. And I think what Jesus says here in this text this morning, and I'm pretty proud of this, this uh, title, is, is beware and you'll be fine, okay? Pretty proud of that this morning. Beware and you'll be fine. Because as I was searching this text this week and as I was praying through it, you know, I like the, I like the practical application. I like the things that I can live out and actually do. As I was reading through this, the only thing that I could really come together with was just this idea that Jesus just calls us to beware, that, that the main idea he says here is, look, just, just know that false prophets exist. Know there are people that claim to, like, to, to follow Jesus and, and to love the church, and yet know that their lives don't represent that, and those people are there specifically to lead us astray. You see, in a movie, the scariest character is never the bad guy. It's, it's never the bad guy. The scariest character in a movie is the guy that pretends to be a good guy, and then that scene shows you them doing something bad, and you find out, oh my goodness, this guy who was portraying as somebody who was good or, or on the good side, they're actually not good. And what Jesus is talking about here, he's not talking about Christians, he's not talking about people that are blatantly against the name of Jesus, he's talking specifically about people who claim to walk in the truth, who claim the name of Jesus, and yet they're secretly false prophets sent to lead us astray because they themselves are led astray by their sinful desires. He says, beware of false prophets because they exist. A true prophet is somebody who truly speaks for God. And I think when we say prophet, we think about like the future. And, and a lot of that, some of that's true, but part of that's also like just like all, all of our pagan influences. Uh, a prophet is just someone who speaks for God. Forthtelling is when someone speaks for God. Like if I were to pray and I were to feel like God were to say, John, uh, you need to tell Halsey that I love her. She needs that word today. And I were to go to her and say, Halsey, I want you to know God loves you. He is for you. He, 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 he wants a, a deeper, more intimate relationship with you, and he's going to be there with you. That would be a form of prophecy. It's just speaking the word of God. Even when a sermon is preached, assuming that I am preaching the true word of God, there is an element of prophecy in that because I'm, I'm telling you God's word. God is, God is using me, even sinful me, to speak through me to you, to instruct you of the truth. And then there's foretelling, which is the part where the future is told. But, but prophecy is not always like tomorrow you're going to have Whataburger and it's going to be really good. Like, like prophecy is not like just telling the future. It's not just about that. It, that's a part of it. It is. And at certain times God does those things. But prophecy is simply being used as a mouthpiece for God. So likewise, on the other side, a false prophet is somebody who says they speak for God, but they really don't. They're deceivers. They, they use the pulpit, they, they use the name of Jesus for selfish gain. Things like violence and sex and things like fame and power begin to, are, are things that they use from their pulpit to take advantage of people and teach them false doctrines. 
it's interesting because Satan is a liar and a deceiver. What people forget oftentimes, like Satan is, is totally God, evil. God is totally perfect. Satan's perfectly evil. And so Satan never has anything to offer you or me, ever. He has nothing good he can offer us. And if we really saw who he really was, we would never want him. Satan has nothing to offer. God has everything to offer. And so what Satan has to do, the only way he can ever get us to follow him or the only way he can ever get us to sin or, or follow a false prophet is to deceive us. Because if we could truly see it, we wouldn't really want it. I mean, the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve are deceived. They didn't willingly want to bring sin into the world. They were deceived to disobey God, and thus sin entered the world. When we are tempted with things, uh, with sin like, like gossip or murder or lying or whatever we're tempted with, we're deceived in that moment. We don't really want to do these things. We don't really want to be evil, but we're deceived by Satan into believing that, well, maybe if I do it this way instead of the way God said to do it, maybe my life would be better. Every time we sin, we are deceived. And false prophets are people who deceive people. And they're out there. This is not like something in, in first century Israel. This was in Waco in 1995. And there's false prophets out there. There was um, Jonestown, pulled off by Jim Jones, I think the 60s or 70s, where a thousand people died because they were going to die and hop on the, the spaceship or something. And, and that's where the phrase literally drinking the Kool-Aid derived from. False prophets deceive people. So how do you know the difference? How do you know that someone's a false prophet versus a true prophet? How do, you, how do you know? And here's the beautiful thing is that Jesus tells us. He says, you will recognize them, verse 16, by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. And what we see here is that a God-sized claim desires a God-sized evaluation. Amen? A God-sized claim desires a God-sized evaluation. We need to evaluate the people that we listen to. Because they impact our lives. He says that you will recognize whether or not someone's a false prophet because they can say the right things and yet their life is full of things that scripture clearly says are sin. And they're unrepentant of them or they make excuses for why they can do those things and other people cannot. You will recognize them by their fruit. You will recognize them not by their words because their words will be appealing and persuading and seductive. You will recognize them by their lives. One of the things I love about being the pastor of White Oak is um, I know you all very well and you know me very well. We have like this trust because we've known each other, a lot of us, for so long, right? There, there's not like, I don't know your history, you don't know my history. Like we kind of are what we are, good and bad, right? We have that connection and that comfort. And yet people come into our lives and they, they say the right things and yet something in their life just seems a little bit off. And, and when we look at these people, we have to realize that... Uh, it takes time for fruit to grow. We should be slow to really buy into things that people say. And so the way we know this is we, we evaluate their life. You should always be evaluating my life and I should always be evaluating yours out of love. 
Because if I get up here and I start preaching stuff that I don't really believe or that my life doesn't reflect, then I'm just wasting your time. We should evaluate people that claim to speak on God's behalf. I love Galatians 5, 22 through 24, when Paul gives us the fruit of the Spirit. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there are no law. Those are not usually the things you find at the center of a cult. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthews chapter 5 through 7, and you, 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 you put that up against the people that claim to speak on God's behalf. I had a really unfortunate event that happened about a week ago. Uh, we were having a bunch of people over for a surprise party for my sister-in-law, and then we were watching the Rockets game afterwards, um, which go Rockets game 7 tonight. Um, go Rockets. I'm really excited about that. Um, we were watching the Rockets game, and of course, this is how life works. My AC decides to go out when I've got like 40 people at my house all crammed into my living room trying to watch the Rockets, right? So my AC goes out, and uh, I'm kind of bummed because, you know, we've recently bought a new car, so money's a little bit tight. I'm not sure what we're going to do. And so I call out the company that's supposed to fix my AC because it's supposed to be under warranty. And so these people come out to my house, and um, I, ironically, literally like a day before these people were scheduled to come out for the appointment. I saw somebody post on Facebook that they had a really bad experience with this company. And I'm not going to name the company because that'd be gossip. But they had a really bad experience with this company. And then everybody was commenting on it. Yeah, we did too. And it was like a known thing. And ironically, I, they were supposed to come out to my house tomorrow. So I had a kind of little heads up. And so they come out to my house. And basically the way it is is supposedly this company, they, they come out as if they're repairmen. But in reality, they're really salespeople which is nothing wrong with salespeople. We need salespeople. We need the economy to go around. But it's one thing to kind of act like you're the guy that's going to fix something, but then really be getting a bunch of commission on whatever you're selling. And so he comes out, and I've already been kind of tipped off. And literally, I'm not going to tell you how much he told me it was going to cost to fix it, but it was like this outrageous amount of money. And I was like, well, we're going out to AC. We're opening up them windows, and we're, we got to get some more fans because we can't, we can't afford to fix it. Just going without it, right? Maybe I'll cave in mid-June, but for now, we're just going to rough it out. So... I was like, I can't pay that. And so I called another guy out that, that my family knew, and, and this guy came out, and, and it was a little bit better, but it was still like a lot of money. And I was feeling a little bit uneasy because I don't know anything about AC units. It's like cars. Like, I know nothing about it. So how do I know that they're not just lying to me and saying that I need all this stuff done, and I really don't? Have you ever felt that way? You just feel so helpless. And so I did what most people should do if they have the blessing of having this available to them. I called up my good old friend, who has been involved in this church off and on throughout the years, named Tommy Burton. I don't know if you know Tommy Burton, but he's actually done a lot of work for the church over the years. He grew up with my parents. He's a family friend. He fixed my parents' house, and now he's working with me now that I own a house. And anytime I ever get concerned and I don't know what to do and I'm afraid that someone is leading me astray, I always call up Tommy Burton. I said, man, this is what's wrong. Can you come look at it? Because um, they're saying it's going to be this much money. He said, John, they are ripping you off. So he came over, and I kid you not, he fixed it for literally one-third of the price. And now my AC is great, and it works. And I can trust that man because I know that he cares about me. 
I have seen his life. He has helped me before. I have seen the way that he interacts with my family. He's a, he's a family friend, so I know that he wants good for me. I know that he loves me. I know that he will not lead me astray. I know he's not just looking to, to get my money. There's like this relationship there. There's this life that I can examine, that I can look at, that I can trust. And I don't worry about paying him to do a job for me because I trust him and I know that he is trustworthy. And, and when we deal with people in this life, every time someone says something, they can say whatever they want. But listen, the Bible is God's word. We run everything through this. And, and whenever we're unsure about something, whenever something's a little bit uneasy, whenever we're afraid we're getting ripped off spiritually, whenever we feel like maybe things are a little bit off, we go to God's word, we read it, and it should always line up for us. But here's the best part. In verse 21, Jesus says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father. In verse 23, he says, When those people come to me, I will say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. White Oak, all we need to do is just beware. All we need to do is beware. There's not like, you don't have to run your life through like a, you know, false prophet test to make sure no one's, you know, taking advantage of you. We just need to know they're there. But even beyond that, we need to rest in the reality that God knows everything. God knows everybody. Uh, James talked about a couple weeks ago about not judging people and about how God is like the perfect judge. And I don't know about you, but that's such a comfort for me, right? Like that God in the end will make sure everything is right that those who take advantage of people, that those who are false prophets, they will be dealt with. They will be separated from God eternally. We don't have to worry about that. We don't have to even take it upon ourselves to handle everything, that we can just trust that God knows everything, that he is sovereign over everything, and that no matter what anybody pulls in this life, because some people will pull stuff, and we've talked about that, but no matter what happens in this life, in the end, when we stand before God, he will properly, lovingly, and accurately judge us. You see, we are often deceived because we are sinful. Scripture says that we are oftentimes taken away because of our sin. It says don't be angry because then you give the, the devil a foothold for sin. When we sin, you're giving the enemy a foothold into your life. But God is perfect. He's holy. He is everything good. He is perfectly light and perfectly good. God is never taken advantage of. He's, he's never duped. He's always perfect. False prophets in the end will have nothing to do against God. And we rest in that fact. And so in closing, I, I invite you to fill your life with the words of Jesus. The best way that we can protect ourselves from false teaching and not even just false prophets, right? Because that, that's a massive thing. A lot of us, we may not even ever encounter someone like that in our lives. But there's other like false teachings that like lead us astray. Or, or maybe they don't lead us astray, but they're just so like empty, you know? Like I, I've never heard anybody say, man, Oprah changed my life, you know? And we, we, we listen to things and we listen to a lot of the ideas of the day and they sound good and, and, and they're not necessarily demonic, I don't think, or anything, but they're just, they're just kind of empty, you know, like, like all these shows we watch and we listen to, like, like n none of it ever changes somebody's life. But the gospel of Jesus Christ, I've known like thousands of people, like 2,000 years later, who are still reading the Sermon on the Mount, reading this message and being like, this changed my life. Like I am, I am communing with God now because of the words here. 
I mean, read the gospel, read these words, and just, just read it. Just, just walk with the Christian community. Just pray. Like, I think sometimes we're so obsessed with instant gratification that, like, we want to read the Word of God, and we want, like, 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 every time I read a passage, I immediately want to get perfect at that command. And so if he says to, like, never lie, I want to read that, and that day I want to shoot to, like, never lie again for the rest of my life, and then I get, like, discouraged because I lie, you know, a week down the road for whatever reason. And, and we want to be perfect, but the reality is every time you read these words, you open your Bible and you read it, it's good. And it produces fruit in your life. Every time you, you gather with the church, it is always a beneficial thing for you. It is always good for your heart. It is always good for your soul. Every time you pray, every time you sing to Jesus, it is always good. And the best thing that you could ever do is just to fill your life with the words of Christ, to love God and to love people and to read it and to believe it and to pray through it and to have it to where your, your whole life is just soaked with the words of Jesus so that when you encounter someone trying to, to dupe you or to lead you astray, it just seems off and you can just tell. White Oak, fill your life with the words of Jesus Christ. Beware of false prophets and you will be fine. I love you all. I want you all to, to know God closely. I want you to have good teaching that produces fruit in your life. And so this time, let, let's pray and let's ask for the Holy Spirit to do his work at this time. Holy Spirit, we have received your word this morning. We have read it. We have reflected on it. We have talked about it. God, we, we hear what you say, that we should beware of those who seek to lead us astray. That there are wolves in this world who, who portray themselves as shepherd and yet inward desire to devour us as sheep. And Holy Spirit, we just acknowledge at this time that we need you to instruct us and to fill us, that we would be wise and strong in our lives. God, I pray for the people in this room, for the people of Wadok, that you would protect them from the false teachings of the enemy and that you would empower them with the gospel of truth, the simple message that we had sinned against God, that we were separated, but God sent his son to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins and to be rosen again, that when we believed in him, we would now be washed clean of our sins and raised to new life with him for all eternity. I pray that you would cement that message deep in our hearts and that you would never let us to be led astray from it. Because God, we know that it happens. And God, we thank you for your good teaching. We thank you for the Bible. We thank you for fellowship that encourages us in the truth. We thank you for all of the good that we sense. God, would you, would you take that good and would you, would you fill our lives with it that our lives would be overflowing with all that you are, God? Give us your true word, Father. And send to us the people who truly do speak on your behalf. Holy Spirit, do this work in our hearts. We ask all these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.